Everyone, welcome to season two of Better in Bed, the podcast where we talk about sex and inspire you to get better at it. If you love this podcast, I think you're really going to love the free Better in Bed audio guide that I created with my three favorite strategies to help you gain more confidence in the bedroom. So all you have to do is head down to my website and type in sarahsense.com forward slash audio guide to access it. So today we are recording from Singapore, which is, I know some of you might already know this, is where I'm from. And one of the things that I really struggled with when I was growing up here was really this lack of compassion and tolerance for anything or anyone that deviated from the norm. Because really, that's what I found to often be the starting premise for any kind of prejudice, you know, be it race, gender, class, or sex. So I really wanted to record something on overcoming prejudice for a very, very long time. And I think I found just the perfect people <laughs> to do this with. So let's dive in by first introducing my wonderful co-host, Prescott. Hello. Hello. Can't wait to start. Love being here. <laughs> Yo, Prescott, as you know from other episodes on the podcast, is an improv actor and instructor. And he's also a very regular collaborator of mine on this podcast, on workshops, on comedy shows, which we just did one yesterday. Yeah. So we've actually done quite a bit together now. Yeah, well done. You taught everybody how to dirty talk. <laughs> Yay. It was great. <laughs> Um, and let me introduce my guest. So our guest is Vanessa. Vanessa Ho is an activist and executive director of Project X. Project X is a Singapore advocacy group and nonprofit dedicated to destigmatizing sex workers and protecting their rights. She also brought the global feminist movement Slut Walk to Singapore and is passionate about talking openly about gender, sexuality, and sex. So naturally, she fits right into this podcast. Yes. Hello. Hello, Sarah. <laughs> hey, Vanessa. Welcome to Better in Bed. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So, Vanessa, why don't we start off with you? Why don't you tell us a little bit about your personal journey and what led you to where you are? So you're an activist for all these various causes and you have this role at Project X. Mm. So what brought you here? When I graduated from university, I was already looking for a job in the nonprofit space. I knew that I wanted to work in a charity, right? Mm -hmm. um, and actually, that itself has a bit of a backstory, which is I always tell people my political awakening came in 2007 um, when Section 377A was debated in Parliament for the very first time, whether or not it should be repealed. So if you don't know, 377A <laughs> yeah. is, the, is the law that criminalizes sex between two adult male. So gay people. Gay people, basically. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Uh, or people who only enjoy... Only males? Uh, yes, no, only males. Only males. Yeah. So females are... Gay females, lesbians are all right. 
They're or, not or criminalized. Uh, not, yeah, you don't go to jail for having sex, for having lesbian okay, sex. Okay, that's strange, but okay. <laughs> yes. <And> right. <laughs> it's not only uh, gay sex either. If if I'm straight and I want to have uh, sex with a man, it would also be criminalized. Yes. In Singapore, right? Yes. Okay. Absolutely. Okay. But if you have uh, opposite genders having anal sex, that's fine. Oh, that's fine. Yeah, it's heterosexual. Just, yeah. Anal sex is okay. If you're two cis men. If there's two genders, it's okay. Right. Mm. Okay. And did it say anal sex particularly, or was it just two men, even if they gave each other a blowjob, would that be criminalized as well? So I think it says gross uh, obscenity, gross indecency, gross indecency. That's the one. Yes. Okay. Um, that's what the law says, and it's been right. interpreted to to mean anal sex, and I believe oral sex also. Yeah. Okay. Mm. So you heard this in Parliament. Right. Uh, so they debated it in Parliament whether or not to repeal it. Um, mm. And so, uh, fun fact, in 2007, that's when um, anal sex between two opposing genders was decriminalized. So before 2007, it was also illegal uh, for opposite genders to have um, anal sex. Um, wow. Uh-oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. What was I doing in 2007? <laughs> what was I doing? <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> Um, Probably having anal sex. <laughs> okay. So, so there was a lot of debate around 377A. And what I was particularly annoyed at was the discourse that came around it, right? So there was a lot of hate speech that was going on in, in the mainstream media, but also on online forums. Facebook didn't exist back then in 2007. Oh my God, I'm so old. Um <laughs> But there was a platform called Reach and people were just saying really nasty things to each other. And I was like, can't we have a like humane conversation around this and try to see each other's points of view and also come to an agreement as to not step on each other's lifestyles or lives in general. Mm. Um, so I was really pissed off, but I also felt very inadequate. I felt like I did not know how to meaningfully contribute to the conversation. And that led me on a journey to just read up in this area, to learn more, and yeah, became an activist as a result of that. Do you want to hear the language? Of it? Sure. It's very short. I would love to hear the so language. Just to, just to get it down for the record, okay. the uh, 377A apparently says... Any male person who, in public or private, commits or abets the commission of or procures or attempts to procure the commission by any male person of any act of gross indecency with another male person shall be punished with imprisonment for a term which may extend to two years. Two years. Yeah. The poor, and that still exists today, right? Yeah. Okay. The poor political intern who had to write that. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> had to like, oh, here's, here's what we wanted to just find the words. Here's what we're trying to do. So yeah. the words for the law is from the, the British, actually. That's oh. very clear. Yeah. Right. <laughs> There's no question about that. Okay, so how did this then lead you to taking up the role at Project X? Project X was uh, not on my radar, actually, when I came right. back to Singapore after graduating from university. So you were awakened already as an activist by then, right? So you came back to Singapore. Yeah, I came back to Singapore uh, after my studies and I was just in some way getting to know the landscape also. So I volunteered mm -hmm. at various different organizations, including the Humanitarian Organization for Migration Economics. Uh, it's a migrant rights group, basically. Okay, uh, right. Yeah, so I got to know a lot of people in this space and understood a bit better about the landscape and what 
needed my contribution and mm-hmm. where I could best fit myself into. Well, home that organization they they help out trafficked people as well. Yes. Yes. Or is it refugees? Uh, a no. bit. As long as you're migrant, they help you and low wage yeah. migrants. Yeah. Okay. So did you first come into contact with uh, trafficked sex workers, for example, mm. there, or had you? No. In fact, I worked primarily at their Chinese-speaking desk, um, so working with male foreign workers. Yeah. Uh, so your construction workers primarily, um, right. so helping okay. them with okay. their cases. Yeah. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah. yeah. I was just trying to predict your journey, but I... <laughs> She's going to tell anyway. us. But that's, a, but that's a wonderful organization as well. So it is, cool. it is, it is. It's amazing. And they do uh, super great work in this space. And they've made so much progress in changing certain legislation. So they were involved in the getting domestic workers a day off, a mandatory day off every week. Oh, very mm. cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so before that, there was no mandatory day off. Actually, arguably, there still isn't mandatory day off per week for domestic workers in Singapore because employers can just pay off their workers and say, here's 50 bucks. Actually, I think it's this. And you can work for me on a Sunday. And the domestic worker ha- would have very little bargaining power to be like, no, I want my day off. You can keep your money. So, sorry, are you saying that it's not mandatory for them to do it or de facto they can get around it? Uh, it's not uh, the semantics, right? So yeah. I think on paper it says yeah. mandatory day off mm. except in the following circumstances. Oh, I see. Yeah, but I'm happy to be fact-checked on that as well. Yeah. Okay. I just believe you. Okay. I'm not going to fact-check. <laughs> <laughs> so you've got your role at the... Working with migrant workers. Yes. And, and then how did you get in touch with uh, sex workers mm. at, at Project mm. X? So it was by chance that I met the founder of Project X. Mm. And I told her, I love everything that you're doing because my passion was around gender and sexuality issues. And I kind of wanted to be in a, an organization where I got to work with women more. Yeah, so I pestered her for about six months, be like, hire me, hire me, hire me. And she was like, no, 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 we have no money to hire you. And six months later, she said, okay, I'll hire you um, to take over me. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, That's a leap of faith. Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, okay. so that happened, yeah. And I'm still here after eight years. Okay, wow. Yeah. <laughs> well, she chose wisely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well done for her. Yeah. Yes. So what is your job at... Project X involved day to day? So it's changing over time, but one of the core areas of my work was really doing outreach, right? Mm. So that meant I would walk in red light districts, I would distribute condoms, I would talk to sex workers, and I'll see if there was anything that we could do for them. I'll help them and, yeah, refer them to social services if required or just be their friend for that night. So over time, we've expanded our outreach locations, we've expanded our staff as well. So now I do a lot more paperwork, which is unfortunately um, a downside of expanding, I guess. Yeah, I see. So the outreach is done by other people within your staff. Yeah. But it's still something you're doing. Yeah. Uh, Just much lesser than when I first started doing it. I see. Mm. And what's the most rewarding part of Mm. what you do at Project Mm. X? Mm. I think definitely talking to sex workers is super rewarding. I think... When they open up to me, I feel like I've done something right. Mm-hmm. Um, because a lot of times, one of the things that a sex worker once said to me and really motivates me is that she said, 
I didn't think that there would be such an organization in Singapore. Mm. That she didn't think that you know people would want to render assistance to sex workers, right? And the mere existence of our organization just brought like some comfort to her. And I and I find that one of the most rewarding moments. Yeah, and I'm very glad that she said it to me. That's fabulous, and mm. also because you said right right at the beginning of your journey when you first were awakened in terms of activism you mm. felt inadequate in mm. terms of like what could I do yes right yes. and this is really like a tangible thing that you can do Absolutely. you can see that you're actually helping people yeah. and you can see how you know it really impacts them directly mm. yeah. yeah what is the most common thing that they ask for mm. you said you go out and, they, and see what they need for the yeah. night or whatever like mm. what is the what is the most common thing that someone might say <laughs> money <laughs> um so yeah when i yeah when i first started people were very skeptical right sex workers like who the hell is like woman yeah. coming around giving us free condoms um so the, the, like people would test me at the beginning right oh yeah what can project x do for me oh just give me like lots of money and i'm like obviously i can't do that uh but now i think over time more and more people just want somebody to talk to uh, and somebody to just share like their day or a very nasty customer that they've had. And yeah, and obviously people would want condoms from us and yeah, all the other supplies. So that's the most common thing request you get now is to have someone to talk to. Yeah. Uh, but I think compassion, yeah. as I said, is kind of there's a shortage of compassion in our society. Yeah. And especially towards you know, well, sex workers who are kind of marginalized ultimately. So sure. I feel being able to have that must yeah. be very important. And don't forget, because most of them do work illegally, a lot of the, what they do, they can't tell anybody else, right? Oh. Um, so they can't tell their friends, like their friends who are non-sex workers. Mm. Um, they can't tell their families and their closest confidant is probably the person that works in the shop next door to them, yeah. right? Or mm -hmm. just stands on the street with, together with them. But that also, they try, uh, I know some ladies, they're like, you know, I don't want to be too close to the people I work with. Because again, because it's criminalized, um, there's a lot of suspicion around each other that people might rat each other out or they might blackmail them. So there is a, there's a high level of distrust among certain communities. And as a result, they really have nobody to share some of the things that they go through. Oh, so that really is an important thing for them. They really just need someone they can trust to talk to. Absolutely. Cool. Absolutely. Now, I, I know people will have this question because you just said most, most of what they do is illegal. Mm. And theoretically, we know mm. uh, sex work is legal in mm. Singapore. So mm. I would love to hear uh, mm. what the deal is there. Mm. Why, why is this work illegal when it's theoretically legal here? Right. It's theoretically legal if you have a license. So you have to have a license to operate a brothel, firstly. So you would find these legal brothels in Geylang and in Little India, which are the two biggest uh, red light districts in Singapore right now. There used to be a lot more in the past. So if you don't have a license to work in these brothels, then you're working illegally, basically. Hmm. Yeah. So you need a license to operate a brothel? presumably, and then you also need a license to work in that brothel? Yes. How does one get that license? Right. So you have to apply to the brothel first. Right. So you have to go find a brothel boss that you like, and then be like, okay, here's my job application. I don't know how much of a job application it really is, uh, but if the boss likes you, he would bring you to the police and finish the paperwork there because the police is like the regulatory board okay. um, in this space. Yeah. Oh, so, I mean, if you had to give like a rough percentage 
how many sex workers are actually licensed and mm. how many are mm. working like illegally. Yeah. So I think it's about 10 to 20% of the industry is legal. Right. And the rest is... Wow, that's huge. Underground, yeah. Okay. Mm. <laughs> okay. Yeah. There is a cap as to how many legal sex workers that there can be in Singapore. Uh-huh. And the magic number, the latest one that I've heard is 800. Right? Can oh, you, that's you, very yeah. few. Exactly, yeah. yeah. And you're saying, so there's probably 8,000. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Okay. And what you're also saying is that you're providing services for the more illegal, like the ones that aren't part of the system. So maybe like trying to support the more illegal, criminalized uh, exactly. sex workers. Exactly. People who don't have the licensed. Yeah. Right. Because they, mm. they're way more vulnerable, right? If yes, you work in course. the legal brothel, if there's anything, you can still go to your yeah. boss and yeah, tell certain them. certain rights. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. yeah. So what's the most frustrating part of mm. what you do then? <laughs> um, I mean, is the legal framework frustrating for you? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I think this bifurcation is unnecessary. I also think that the current regulations as to how to become a legal sex worker is way too... Uh, restrictive. So only four nationalities can work in a legal brothel. So you mm-hmm. have to be a Chinese national, Thai, Vietnamese, or Malaysian. What? Yeah. Why is it on racial grounds? <laughs> I don't know. I will have to ask the government as to why these four nationalities. But from what right. I heard, the two governments have to get into an agreement to allow their nationality to work in a licensed brothel in oh, Singapore. Oh, that same, that same poor British intern who wrote that had to, be, had to do this negotiation <laughs> with. <laughs> Reginald, we have a new thing for you. Go and talk to the Thai government and negotiate a treaty. <laughs> hmm. so, uh, what else is frustrating mm. besides the legal framework? So the most frustrating thing, I think, is that um, all the undocumented sex workers basically have very, very little rights when they become victims of a crime, right? Mm. So one of the biggest cases that we've been working on for the past three years is just this guy who goes around robbing and raping sex workers, especially, yeah, especially women who can't speak English, it's their first time in Singapore, first time doing sex work. So he preys on like the most vulnerable sex workers out there. And yeah, he just doesn't pay after sex. Mm. He sometimes beats them up uh, if they mm. declare that they need the money or they don't want to provide the service. Yeah. So we've been trying to get women to come forward to report him to the police. But right. the thought of being arrested or the yeah. thought of being deported and blacklisted from coming back into Singapore um, just freaks so many people out. And they're just like, why would I do I that? I can see that. Yeah. I can Is understand that. Is that likely to happen to them? Like, if they do come forward and report it, are they likely to be deported and not allowed back in? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of a catch-22. Yeah. 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 So a lot of them are like, I really want to get this guy, but I can't sacrifice my own livelihood. Right. Right. Okay. Um, and how are you supporting them in, in that context, by mm, the way? What, mm. do you, what do you help them to do? So we try to clarify the laws. I try to clarify like all these immigration blacklisting, how it works, exactly how they will be blacklisted and uh, how to lift the blacklist and what is the reporting process like and what are the sacrifices that they would likely have to make. So basically giving them information such that they can make an informed decision as to whether or not to pursue the case. Okay. And then once you give them that information, do people mm. still pursue? Mm. Or yeah, they mostly no. <laughs> mostly uh, no. It's, yeah. It's we uh yeah. 
I think only if the victim is a Singaporean, then it's easier um, okay. for them to come forward. Uh, but even then, there is still um, the fear that uh, you might confess to a crime while being interviewed mm. for uh, the crime that you are a victim of. And so there's still reticence uh, mm. for Singaporean sex workers. How many people has he victimized, do you think? So the official reports that we have as Project X is 15. Mm. Um, he went to jail last year uh, for eight months and there were four victims in that case. So, And I don't know who those four women are. So that makes 19 cases in total mm. that is recorded and known. Can you imagine how many more are unknown? So he went to jail for this crime. Yes. So, so, so it did get, he was held accountable ultimately. Yes. But yeah. only for, how long was he in jail? Eight months. Only eight months. Yeah. Right. And so you don't know those victims. Mm. So you don't know if they were deported. So, uh, yeah, basically. Uh, I don't know whether they're Singaporeans or whether they're foreign nationals. Yeah. And I don't know what happened to them. Oh, so, wow. so they could have been deported if they were the wrong, they didn't have the treaty. Like, you're Swedish? Get out of here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yes. You're yeah. done. You don't meet the right criteria. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But I, I also think there is, is probably also an underlying misconception that people have that sex workers can't be mm. raped or, mm. you know, because, well, they're doing sex work anyway, right? Yeah. yeah. And that's also because people don't really understand mm. boundaries and consent very well. Yeah. But I think also it's part of the stigma, mm. maybe. I wonder if you come up against that. Mm. One of the, I do hear that, that yeah. sex workers cannot be raped um, uh, from the general public. But some, the, I think the most heartbreaking one is that I actually hear this from sex workers themselves. Oh. Um, so one of the earlier things that we did was that we brought a lawyer around to the various red light districts and he would just dispense legal advice or just mm. explain the law to people on the streets. And there was just one lady who just said, oh, but you know, he paid me, so... I just have to let him do whatever he wants oh, to do. And no. I was like, no, you can say no yeah. and you can yeah. stop things. Yeah, um, oh. yeah. so that, that made me a lot more aggressive in terms of yeah. bringing lawyers around and be like, these yeah. are your rights, right? And nobody can take them away from you. Yeah, yeah. that's challenging. Mm. What a great service. <laughs> you're right. No, really, you're right. It's just a fantastic service. You yeah. can bring lawyer around to... Yes. to give some advice to, yeah. to mm. these people. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. yeah. So that, I was also very fortunate to have met this one lawyer who's also super like gung-ho. So he came down with me and brought like lots of newbie lawyers as well. Um, and so for a period of time, I always had lawyers with us on the ground. Yeah. Oh, and very that's cool. Very, very cool. Mm. Mm. Do you think that anything's actually changed mm. for sex workers, you know, in the time mm. that you've been at Project X? Yeah. <laughs> it could be changed for the better, changed yeah. for the worse. Yeah. I mean, yeah. has anything changed at all? So the laws have gotten a lot stricter um, oh. over oh, the right. time. Yeah. Oh, no. Yeah, over the past. Oh, no. <laughs> okay. Um, right. Uh, also because they, they, the sex industry has changed uh, so much, right? Last time it was street-based, brothel-based. Now a lot of it is karaoke-based. It was uh, massage parlor-based. And the moral panic was the HDB brothels that were popping up. So you need to forgive my naivete for one moment. Sure. <laughs> I, okay. I get what you mean mm -hmm. when you say it's, uh, did you say massage parlor based? Yeah. I'm going to go ahead and say I understand that. Yeah. Uh, what does karaoke based yeah. sex work mean? I don't understand. 
Mm-hmm. I'm not a big karaoke person, so yeah. I don't go, but I I just, I'm running through what I think karaoke is. Mm. And I, I don't, I don't understand how what it's related. It? Yeah. What are you imagining, Prescott? I'm a, so... <laughs> <laughs> Share with us. I'm, uh, I'm imagining <laughs> there's uh, parties where people are are uh, watching w- words lyrics on a <laughs> on a computer screen mm-hmm. and having sex and uh, paying the computer machine mm. to have cooler lyrics okay. that they can sing along to <laughs> uh, that are not appropriate. Mm. And for no, I have no. I'm not imagining anything. <laughs> I don't understand. <laughs> I don't understand what you're doing, what you're talking about. So, Karaoke-based uh, <laughs> sex work sounds cool, yeah. but I don't understand how yeah. that works. So karaoke joins in Singapore. Is, I, I don't know. I've seen some overseas, and it's like open concept, right? There's a mic, and then there's a, a projector with yeah. uh, videos, and yeah. you sing to the whole room. This is what I'm imagining. So no. how, how is sex work happening? <laughs> so the karaoke it's, joins here. just like Madonna's on. <laughs> illegal. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm a virgin. No, okay. <laughs> uh, they have rooms. They they have private rooms here, and so yes, they do play music uh, on the screen. Uh, but they dim the lights, and it's super dark in a lot of these spaces. So you drink a lot, and you just have sex there in the karaoke, in the joints. karaoke yeah. room. That just oh, sounds sh- like a so a, that kind the, of almost doubles up as a brothel. Basically, kind of. yes. So yeah. were there. Uh, I still don't understand. Are there mm. people already there? So, the yes. Sex, oh, yeah. Okay. So the women are, are are like they have rooms, uh, oh, and see. and they're the ones who serve you the drinks. They're the ones hey. who sing with you. They would duet with you, if necessary. And yeah, and then they will provide the other services. And Wait, it's usually one on one. There's lots of, but you're with your friends. It can be group as well. Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah, it can be group. It can be, and, and the rooms are small. They're not like massive rooms. They're mm. they're yeah. They can fit maybe five people in a room, four people in a room. Mm. Is that common? Yes. The five and four people in a room? Is this like a... I'm sorry, is this a thing? Yeah. Okay. I'll show you some websites later. No, no, no. no. I'm good. Okay. Wow. Okay. So you you said that... So it's shifted. The nature of sex work and where it takes place has shifted. And what are the implications of that? So the implications is that the police has then decided to change the laws around these establishments. So the Massage Establishment Act was recently, two years ago, it was amended. And they increased the fine for operating an unlicensed massage parlor or providing happy ending services within the parlor from $1,000 fine to a $10,000 fine. Oh wow! Maximum. That's yeah. a big jump. That's a he- that's a yeah. tenfold. Yeah. Right. Did yeah. that uh, did that reduce the number of of these type of? Nah. I I, <laughs> I really don't think so. They're they're very very smart people. Um, and it's a bit of a musical chairs kind of thing. So they come, they shut down this this unit, and then two weeks later, I find them in a different space, like in a different location altogether. It um, seems like music is a big part of the sex industry, mm. based on what you're describing. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yes. But yeah, so what is the most favorite uh, duet? <laughs> uh, there's a Chinese song. The uh, there is really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I did not expect you to be yes. answering that question in a, in a serious way. What, what, what song is it? Uh, the, the song about roofs. 
Do you know the Wu Ting song? Uh, <laughs> no, I, 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 my knowledge of karaoke songs, which people can have sex to, is very low. Yeah. Um, What are the? So I, I don't see how roofs is. This is so fascinating to me. I know. So what? Are, what do roofs have to do with why? Is it just a popular song? It's a to, popular to, song, a okay. and it's a male female duet, and it's very yeah. emotional. And, and I, I don't remember <laughs> the lyrics of the song. Something about standing on the rooftop singing your song, something like that. Okay. <laughs> yeah, maybe your listeners can write in and, and okay. tell you what the song is. That is, that is too funny. I wanted to ask you about whether you come up against this this idea around that sex work is a kind of work. It's mm. really like a job, and a lot of people don't perceive it as such. Yeah. And what's your response to that? Yeah, I think if you ask sex workers what um, sex work uh, means to them, mm. a lot of them would just say it's a job. Literally, yeah, yeah. I go to work, I wake up, I put on my makeup. Um, oh, I can sing a song here. Did you want to sing a song here, Prescott? Yeah, can yeah. we sing a duet? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and they're like, "Oh, today business is bad, or today business is good," um, and so they see it as a job. Yeah. Um, and what else? As a job, they don't put too much emotional investment mm -hmm, into mm -hmm. it. It's really about just going and getting the job done. Yeah. Right. What are yeah. the other biggest misconceptions mm. about sex work and mm. sex workers? Mm. So I think apart from that all sex workers must be trafficked, so that's one that we hear. Mm. A lot of people say, yeah, no woman would ever want to like willingly join the sex industry and become a sex worker, mm. which is obviously a very overstatement, right? Mm. I mean, you can't just say that about everybody. Everybody has their own experiences. So yeah, myth busted. Boom. And two is that uh, sex workers must be super slutty, super promiscuous, and mm -hmm. they're just nymphomaniacs, basically. Mm -hmm. um, which there are some people like that, but not everyone is like that. Mm -hmm. And yeah, over generalizing is never the way forward. Yeah. How common is the uh, is the story that we read, which is the the traffic person, the the person who was tricked into coming for another job, and mm. their passport was taken, mm. and then they so they were they're now they're saying, well, now you owe us a whole bunch of money, so you have to do this work here. How common is that story? So the absolutely trafficked story is actually very rare, but we see a lot of cases that are just bordering that, which is even more worrying, right? Because they don't fit the definition of who is a trafficked victim, and so they don't get access to the victim protection that the law guarantees. So we see a lot of people who, um, especially in your bars, they will come and they think that they're supposed to be singers in a bar, they're supposed to be um, waitresses in a bar, And then they have these KPIs. They have targets to hit of how much alcohol they have to sell every day. And if they don't hit that target, they would sometimes be made to provide sexual services in order to make up the difference of their targets. And they would have some debt as well to pay, usually a couple thousand dollars, so which adds to the pressure of having a debt and not hitting your targets. So that slow coercive power of the environment that they work in We see that quite commonly and even more so recently. And it's something that we're trying to tackle as well. I have to say, that does not sound borderline to mm, me. That mm. sounds like textbook. Yeah. I'm sneaky trafficking yeah. of people. Yeah. Yes. Not cool. Yes. Now, is there also a misconception that all sex workers are women, mm. for example? Mm. Because are there men? Are mm. there... 
yeah genders as well yes so we work with all genders so cisgender women transgender women and cisgender men mm-hmm. we have not met any transgender men in the sex industry locally but okay. overseas mm-hmm. we've met partners uh partner organizations where they are trans men who are sex workers okay mm. where do you think that the bias and prejudice against sex workers originates from mm. So I think we have to look at it from both points of view. One is the contemporary view is that I think that society is getting more and more polarized. I think that the conservatives are getting a lot more conservative and the liberals are getting a lot more liberal, um, which is kind of the situation that's happening in the US uh, right now also. Yeah, let me just uh, mm. let me just address this just to you, from an American. Mm. Don't don't follow what we're doing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, just yeah. everybody who can hear this. Yeah. We're we're a mess yeah. right now. We're yeah. very polarized. We hate each other. Mm. Don't don't follow along. Mm. But y'all exporting that shit, yo. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, how, how are we doing that? Uh, so when they uh, there's a huge a lot of literature has been spilled around the space where like for example in the African continent actually a lot of the homophobic sentiment comes from the US because pastors who found that they had no more sway in the US left their countries to find people who would listen to them and so they found some pockets in parts of Africa and that was I can't remember the country which country in Africa but that's why they wanted the death penalty for gay people okay we've been doing that for a long time though that's not a, that's not new exporting yeah like we've yeah we've been doing that for a while so it's come to Singapore as well some parts of these sentiments and as a result I feel like the conservatives are getting a lot more conservative and the liberals and I would say I would fall into the camera getting a lot more liberal also and so it's much harder to see eye to eye over certain things yeah um, yeah, including the sex industry. So, yeah, trying to find that middle ground is very important uh, to the work that I do. Also, I'm not sure how you turn this on me. Mm. Yeah, it's I just don't... like where, where do you where do you think homophobia comes from? It's Prescott. It's, it's America. It's, America. It's, uh, I mean, staring, and I don't think I don't think right it's now. totally accurate as well because mm. there are a lot of things in Asian values and mm. Asian society mm. that is also. I think quite prudish. Mm. Let's just put it that way. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So, yes, there was that sao huang, they say it mm-hmm. in Chinese. So they're cleaning mm-hmm. up all the yellow stuff in Singapore, literally. Mm-hmm. And that's happened, I want to say, oh, okay, my history is failing me. Either the 60s, the 70s or the 80s, which is like two decades. Yeah, there was a period of time where our government was like wiping out pornography, wiping out prostitution from our country. And, that's and they what wanted, yellow stuff means? Yes. Okay. I don't know why yellow became the color to yeah. represent mm-hmm. um, I see. sex stuff. Like, like direct translation from Chinese. Yeah. Yeah. Cleaning up the yellow stuff means cleaning up the smut. Cleaning up. Yeah. Yeah. Cle- yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. Sweeping the yellow, actually. Mm. Sweeping the yellow. Literal translation. Yeah. Okay, good. Yeah. So that you, that's really just kind of infiltrated society. Yes. 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 And also, I feel like, of course, with all of these marginalized communities, you know, especially with sex workers, sex work being criminalized, you, mm. you're not hearing a lot of stories, mm. right, of these people. Yeah. Because I think one of the things that really helps to humanize people is when you hear their stories. Yes. But because a lot of them are so quiet and they're not given a voice, mm. then people aren't, you, you don't really hear their stories. Like, you don't really read the stories in the news. That's not something that you would do, for example. Yeah. And you've obviously 
connected to that because you've gone and done the outreach and you've yes. gone and talked to them, yeah. right? But even then, as, as you say, like a lot of them don't have anyone to talk to. Mm. Absolutely. I mean, if you look at mainstream media, so this is one of our campaigns that we're running is really to try and get mainstream media to stop publishing photographs of sex workers who've been arrested. So they rarely do this for other types of criminals, but for sex workers, they do this on a very regular basis. So after a police raid, what's happened is that the media will be called in and the women will be lined up. So they either sit on the bed all lined up uh, and then they put the condoms on the bed um, as evidence that they are criminals. And the women will have like their faces face down to the ground just looking remorseful over their actions. So these pictures really shape how we see and think about sex workers, that they are criminals, that they're immoral people and that they deserve to be shamed and humiliated in mm-hmm. public. There's so many bad messages in that. Like oh, also absolutely. Condoms, yeah. They're like, you know, condoms are also shameful. I don't know yeah. why they'd want to send that message. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And that I, like, obviously, shaming the people is more important. Mm. It's just, just yeah. like there's a lot of, uh, yeah. there's a lot of bad messaging in there. Super. Yeah. 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 There's a lot of shame, shame yeah. and blame. Yeah. Yeah. How common is that? Like, Super. I haven't, I haven't seen that picture yeah. in, in the news, but I, I clearly not looking for it's near where the karaoke information is there's just a lot of stuff i don't read apparently so how common so like in a Mm. given month would Mm. there be a few of those stories and pictures around yeah it slowed down a bit this year but last year uh, i noticed like two three four articles per month so almost every week every other week there'll be such an image that would be appearing on our social media and our mainstream news channels wow that's a lot more common than i thought as well and do yeah. those photographers never get bored of that shot? No. They're just like, what do you think we should do this time? I got an idea. Yeah. Let's line them all up and put the condoms I mean, on them. They'll just do the same thing again. Yeah. They don't have anything else to report in Singapore except for shaming and blaming stuff. So what can be done then in terms of if we were all to work together towards this sex positive world, you know, what can we do, mm. right? Um, oh, I like to it. An help, action plan. Yeah. What are we doing? To, yeah. To help to destigmatize sex work and mm. sex workers, you know, not everyone's going to be able to, you know, do that sort of outreach that you're doing. Not yeah. everyone's going to have a sex podcast like this one. Yeah. What else? What, what can the everyday person do? Right, yeah. we're not lawyers, and, yeah, and we clearly uh, exactly. are not informed about various yeah. things. Uh, yeah. So what what can what, lay people what can do we here? do? So okay, um, with regards to the the media shaming that I just talked about, we do have like a letter template for people if mm-hmm. they wanted to write into the media and say, "I'm your reader, and I'm sick and tired of your old antics, and I'm sick and tired of you shaming women for being women." Mm-hmm. Um, it's <laughs> a very Singaporean <laughs> response. Yeah, <laughs> you write. I know what you can do. Write a strongly worded letter. <laughs> Exactly. You got to use the strategy. Uh, Okay. Okay. Dear Mm -hmm. sir. (laughs) Right. Okay. So, uh, okay. So you could object to these kind of stories. Exactly. Don't click on them. Don't share them. Or yeah, don't even comment, right? Don't even comment like stop doing this because you're giving them more traffic. Yeah. Uh, You're giving them more engagement on the internet which is the huge currency right now right mm-hmm. but yeah i mean we we as an organization we also take volunteers um mm-hmm. so we have volunteers who do the outreach work uh, mm-hmm. with us there mm-hmm. are also volunteers who do the back-end stuff right mm-hmm. or volunteers like prescott who do training for us right yes. um so there's a bunch of things where people can do to get involved yeah mm. okay and where can we actually where can people find these sort of alternative stories mm. and views and resources about sex work if, if they wanted to understand right. sex workers and their context better yeah, yeah. 
So I think social media is a beautiful place for that reason because a lot of sex workers have used the internet to tell their stories mm-hmm. right and twitter is actually a great platform to do that because twitter is a bit more liberal than instagram instagram mm-hmm. and facebook has a lot more restrictions uh, a lot of shadow banning of sex worker accounts and yep. blah 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 yeah there are lots of books also so there is one that i was following quite a lot was the red umbrella diaries oh yeah um have you heard of that of course yeah okay have you read it yeah. mm, oh, no I- Mm. Okay, I've got to pick that up. Yeah, yeah, so they've got a series of books, poetry, prose, mm-hmm. but also there's a documentary right now. So they used to do like open mic stuff in New York City, I believe. I think that's what I heard of, not, yeah. not mm-hmm. actually a book. I, yeah. just, I just remembered I didn't read anything. Yeah. <laughs> so they published stuff <laughs> But I knew about the, yeah, yeah, I see. That <laughs> yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, so a lot more stories. So that's uh, a more Western context. So uh, closer to home, Empower Thailand. I don't know if you've heard of them, but very, mm-hmm. very powerful sex worker organization in Thailand. They've also published a couple of books in English and in Thai about sex workers in mm. Thailand. Yeah. If you could give people one thing to do, mm. if, could, if people would be like, I want to do something, uh, something to help, what would you ask mm. people to do? Mm. What is the one thing you wish could change? What would have good impact? <sighs> one thing only, uh, really. Uh. <laughs> I, I mean, I don't know. You can say whatever you how want. How much time you got? <laughs> yeah, yeah, we can I'm be not... here all day. <laughs> Plus, you know, my, I, I'm not the boss of you. I, you, can, you can answer the question wherever you want, I guess. <laughs> um, okay, so there's the there's the one second thing that people can do yeah. is just yeah. to follow us on social media because okay. that's where the updates come from. We share our stories over there. So that's projectx.sg on Instagram, Project X Singapore on Facebook. We don't use Twitter that much, but it's mm. Project X. Because the kids don't, SG, don't use yeah. it. <laughs> mm. um, no, actually, because it has a very wide international audience. Yeah. Whereas Facebook and Instagram have a much local audience. Oh, I see. Um, which is where we kind of want to focus our efforts. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And so maybe not the 30 second thing to do is mm-hmm. to fill in that letter template that's available on our Instagram and write into the media. Dear sir. Yeah, it's all written. Uh, oh. So you just need to fill in the blanks um, <laughs> okay. and ad- amend it as much as you like okay. or as well oh. as you like. Oh, yeah. So that's your one thing. Yeah. If you could ask everyone to just write that letter. So there's two things already. There's the one second thing, which okay. is to follow us, and the 30 follow second us, thing, yeah. which mm-hmm. is to write the letter. Okay. And that's for the campaign to stop the uh, the media from the shamey yes. pictures. Mm. Yes. Okay. Okay. Yes, yes, okay. Yes. okay. So I feel like the first step to overcoming prejudice must surely be acknowledging that you have mm. these beliefs mm. um nope <laughs> <laughs> all of my thoughts are pure um, at all times just because i think that really sometimes people are it's born out of ignorance mm. right mm. and i i was just wondering throughout your own personal journey yeah. whether you had to unlearn or challenge any of your own biases Mm. or were you always the woke (laughs) uh you know compassionate activist that you always were no no yeah i think if anybody says that they were born this way you can tell them to go away (laughs) (laughs) Uh yeah um no absolutely i was i was still raised in singapore i was raised in the extremely sheltered environment um, I went to an all-girls school. I went to very elite schools. And so naturally, I was raised with a lot of prejudice about minority races. For example, in Singapore, I was raised with a lot of prejudice around people of different sexualities also, right? And yeah, different genders also. So uh, I always tell people growing up is about unlearning a lot of the bad habits that we were brought up with. And whether that is like 
there's these common things that people say in Singapore and I don't want to repeat them on air that is very racist and very very, very xenophobic and yeah. we never actually think and before we say these things and we always say it as a joke yes um but if you actually step back, it's very hurtful things to say. And nobody actually calls us out, right? Very, you know, especially if you're in a vacuum, in a, like a bubble, nobody calls you out because everybody is doing it mm-hmm. also. So it really took a lot of effort. So stepping out of your comfort zone, being in spaces that you are not traditionally belonging to, that really challenge uh, these views. And But also, not everybody takes to being challenged very well, right? Mm. They're like, oh my god, you challenged me, okay, I hate you, you are, you are a bigot, you know, blah, blah, blah. The reverse racism thing that's so popular in Singapore right now. Mm. The reverse racism bullshit, sorry, that's so popular in Singapore right now. So it really took a lot of energy in terms of listening, in terms of questioning why I think the way I do, why I say the things I do, who taught me to say these things and why did they learn to say those things in the first place? Right. And whether that historical context of those phrases have any more use in the present world, the contemporary society mm. that we live in. So it's a it's a super long process. It's uh, yeah. about listening, about... Reflecting. Yeah. It sounds like you did a lot of reflecting. Absolutely. Did anyone or anything help mm. you along the way? Mm. Like for me, Mm. I mean, I can tell you my own journey because I have very similar Mm. background as you. I probably grew up with all the similar biases as you. When I grew up, frankly, I knew no gay people. Mm. I mean, I'm sure they were gay. You probably did. Exactly. I'm sure they were. But like they just never, they never said they weren't public about it. Mm. And maybe I also didn't really go out and try to solicit and understand them. Yeah. And one of the biggest turning points for me was actually going to the States Mm. for my undergrad education. Mm. And that's where I, well, I went to California as well, which is probably one of the most diverse Mm. places in terms of race, sexuality. And I met people Mm. and I made friends with people Mm. who Mm -hmm. were all these different sexualities. And that's what really changed it for me. I just started going like, oh, these are people that are my friends. And through them, just being friends with them and listening to their stories, it Mm. really gave me much broader view Mm. of the world. But I can imagine not everybody has that, right? Yeah. Not everyone has the chance to do that. Yeah. So I might have no. turned out very different, to be honest. Where mm. in California did you go? The Bay Area. The ba- <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> That's a good place to meet a lot of different people. Yeah. So that, yeah, I think that probably was, probably yeah. was a good experience for that. Yeah. yeah. So I, I mean, I don't know if, if you had like an experience or a milestone or on your journey, whereas anything that you recall where you felt like, mm. oh, this really helped to change my mind about something. Yeah. I think the first thing uh, was that when I went to uh, junior college, mm. it was less homogenous mm-hmm. um, so people of different races people of different backgrounds nationalities as well whereas my high school was just the same everyone was the same we had all the same haircut as well mm-hmm. it's like communism mm-hmm. um, <laughs> <laughs> um, and they didn't allow dreadlocks <laughs> in no, no, your secondary school <laughs> did y'all choose to have the same haircut or did y'all have to have it the was same no haircut? it's mandated yeah Wait, what? It, it, okay. is, it is it's, it's part of the, the uniform what's the haircut 3cm your hair can only be 3cm below your ears Mm -hmm. and so everyone can it be shorter than that yes it can but uh, but that's not what everybody did everyone had what i would call a bob 
And so everyone yeah. had yeah, the three yeah, the bob, CM yeah. bob. Yeah, the bob. Or, or yeah. if you had long hair, you had to, well, for our school, you had to braid it. It, it what, had to be braided. And did it, was there a length as well? No, it was but just, it just had to be braided. It wasn't like, no. So depending no. on your school, mm-hmm. you're either in the bobs or the pigtails. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. All right. It's part of the uniform. So we had to wear a uniform and that is the hair that went with the uniform. Yeah. yeah okay. All girls school. I yeah. had the same. Yeah. Yeah. So it's this privileging right. of sameness, right? Mm-hmm. That yeah. really, there's absolutely no need for people to think outside the box because everyone around you is the same and that's kind of demanded of you to be the same. Yeah. So when I went to junior college, that that changed, right? Because a lot more okay. diverse uh, people and very, very different world, a much more English-speaking space. Also, previously, it was a more Chinese-speaking mm. environment. Yeah, and after junior college, I worked as a makeup artist. So this one, not a lot of people know, but mm. I worked as a makeup artist in the retail scene for about nine months before university. And that opened my eye so much because just working day-to-day, you understand how uh, retail staff, what the struggles that they go through mm-hmm. um and yeah being confronted with the certain privileges that i had because i didn't actually need a job i was doing it for fun and to fill the time mm-hmm. before university so yeah. that really opened my eyes i made a lot more friends in that space and understood a different part of singapore that i never was exposed to so wow. yeah. yeah okay mm. I think a lot of people have that same journey that both of you mm-hmm. described, mm-hmm. right? Which is whatever you think a certain way, you're growing mm-hmm. up, you have things, and then there is a meeting of people yeah. and a, an expanding of your world a mm-hmm. little bit. And that expanding of your world makes you, it, you know, if you actually can be present and listen to people and talk to people who are different than you or different than your assumptions, yeah. then you have this this new awakening of, oh, the, mm-hmm. these are people and here are their stories. Yeah. Yeah. Yet there are many other people that go the other way. Yeah. So I think it's it's really just mm. how you use those experiences yeah. in your life. Absolutely. Because some people can be exposed and they don't want to listen. And they're like, ew, those people, and I don't want to mix with them anymore. Yeah. So it does mm. take a certain yeah, mindset, I think. Yeah. 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 So let's say if somebody was listening to this podcast and maybe they were experiencing some kind of sexual prejudice and you know in, or they felt like they weren't being accepted by society mm-hmm. in some way or being judged by society how would how would you counsel someone like that to respond towards the people or the society that judges them mm. I think understanding where that person comes from, understanding, mm-hmm. sort of unpacking their background, why they think that way, you know, what might have influenced them to think that way. Yeah. So in my work, I have been confronted with very conservative views also. Of course. Right? And it has been challenging. I think I, I think this is definitely one of the biggest uh, lessons I had to learn was that just because you are marginalized doesn't mean you're going to be a liberal. And we heard this early on with that, gay people can be racist too and mm-hmm. uh, it was something that when I first heard it I was and I first experienced it I was like oh my god how can you be gay and be racist that mm-hmm. not it does not work yeah. together yeah. but then I realized that thinking about it more deeply you can really see where a person comes from and how that really shapes their points of view and then using that to then try to open their minds as well mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. yeah understand where people are coming from and then listening to them and talking to them. I think that's clear. Yeah. yeah. I'm trying to think of an example. I mean, I don't yeah. know, like when you, for example, when you you went down this path, mm. did you ever feel like 
you know, even within your your family, your loved ones, mm. people were like, "What are you doing? Mm. <laughs> like, you know, yeah. why are you doing this?" And yes. they maybe judged you a certain way. Yeah. For yeah. doing the things you were doing, and I, I wonder how you responded to that, or, or how mm. anyone who experiences mm. kind of judgment for not doing, I guess, what everyone else is doing. Yeah, how do we respond to that in a positive and productive way? Mm. Like, so we can wait for the answer, but I, I don't. You, do you I have don't, a, no, I don't have an answer, yeah. but I have a a memory that that okay. was triggered when you were. Right. I remember when I think I was probably in college, maybe high school, and I was mm. in, beginning my journey and just reading about sexuality and sexual authors. And I remember reading this book, this woman did a, a lot of research on sex workers. Mm-hmm. And I don't remember, this is a terrible story because I won't have a good citation because I don't remember the author and I don't remember mm. the book. But I do remember reading the foreword of mm-hmm. the book. And in the foreword of the book, she wrote, here's an experience I need to tell that is not part of the content of this book, but I need to, I need to explain this, which mm-hmm. is when I told my family and friends that I was working on this book, the most common response that I've gotten is that they didn't understand why I wanted to work on this book about sex workers mm. and about prostitution in the U.S. in mm. general. And most common was this statement of, oh, do you secretly want to be a prostitute? Mm-hmm. That was, we didn't really have mm-hmm. the term sex worker as, as much back then as the reason mm-hmm. I, I've, mm-hmm. I've gone back to the term she was using. But what a bizarre response mm-hmm. to this author who was doing research. Mm-hmm. If I was doing research on uh, woodworking and furniture, no one would say, like, you secretly want to be a wood furniture. Mm-hmm. Like, no one thinks that. <laughs> but for whatever reason, she was yes. doing research on sex yeah. work and speaking, yeah. ah, you, that's a weird thing for you to do. Yeah. So I certainly appreciate the question. I don't know your experience, but I at least remember the experience yeah. of at least one author I was reading that, yeah, wasn't part of the content, but she was a little furious at this bizarre, like, she was doing this thing, and it was a really good book, as I remember, but yeah. the biggest response to it was, you have a thing wrong with you because you're yeah. interested in, in sex workers. Yeah. I mean, to me, all I can say that it is just so important to be authentic. And it's really like an act of courage to stay true to who you are, you know, because I think there's so many different responses to, for example, that example that you gave. You can just, you can kind of look at that kind of criticism and judgment from the society and just you can just bow to it, right? And mm-hmm. you can just be like, okay, I'm not going to do what I'm going to do anymore because I've just decided that it's not worth it because it feels so yeah. shitty to be judged. Or you can, you know, I think be brave and, you know, say, no, this is who I am and this is what I believe. In. And one day I hope by being who I am and by showing up that I will change your mind or that I will open your mind, or something will happen that will change your mind, and maybe you'll remember me. I don't know. That's what I feel. What a wonderfully positive <laughs> outlook. That's, that's great. How adorable. <laughs> I like it. I, I what a great it, attitude. I think it's important. Yeah, I think this being authentic is very important. So I actually rarely get criticism. I mean, some mm. people say, oh, why don't you get a real job? You know, get yeah. some real money, blah, yeah. blah, blah. But I think secretly a lot of people are... And I say this not as a proud thing, but I think secretly a lot of people are very envious and that they also want to do something different, Mm -hmm. that they also want the opportunity to do something that they strongly believe in, Mm -hmm. but did not have the ability or the privilege or the resources to be able to do so. Mm -hmm. So I think it's very important for me to also show people that there's a different way of doing things out there. You don't have to follow a mold. You can make your own mold, so to speak, and... Yeah, as long as you are very 
strategic about it and tactical about it, mm. you can do something different. And I think that's what's important also. Yeah. I really love that too. Yeah. All right. So what's next? Um, so this year, we're hoping to expand a lot more. I think expand our outreach, but also expand our team. So we've been sort of a three-person team for a very long time now. And the work that we do is expanding. Uh, we want to provide more hardcore social services to to sex workers also. So one of the, the newer things that we have been planning for is a program that helps uh, sex workers to retire. Um, so nice. over the years, a lot of people have asked, hey, Project X, you know, are you rescuing sex workers from the sex industry? And we're like, no, that's not what we're about. But also at the same time, a lot of sex workers do come to us and say, I know I can't do this for the rest of my life and I, I do want a plan B and what am I going to do to retire? So we have come up with a research-based, evidence-based program that will enable sex workers to leave the sex industry without all that moral judgment. Mm -hmm. um, and it's going to be, yeah, there'll be five steps to the program and there's no pressure to leave even after you complete the program. You can do it at your own time, own mm -hmm. target. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, we're calling it the Next Step Program and hoping to launch it sometime this year, pending some funding coming through. Um, yeah. That sounds so really exciting. Yeah. Yeah, yes. Very cool. Yeah, 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 that is very, very cool. Was there training involved? Mm. Are, are mm. you training them in another industry? Are no. You, like, what is the... So there's five components. Yeah. Um, and the first one is financial planning. So you, you oh, obviously yeah. to quit, you to retire, you need certain amounts of money and how you're going to reach that financial goal. Then there's counseling. So three different levels of counseling, individual counseling uh, in case there's any trauma, uh, PTSD that needs to be addressed before taking the next step. There's family counseling and this is can be your biological family but can also be your found family. So the people around you and how they can be supporting you through your journey. And then there will be some career counseling. So in case you do want to change to a different sector, what are your skills, what are you good at, what you love doing, and how do you match that with something that's available in the market? And the last one is just social and communication skills. Yeah, so there mm. are these five components. You can pick which one is more important to you and which one you most need assistance with. And then we'll customize a plan for each individual who comes into our office. Yeah. Fabulous. Mm. What, what wonderful work. I mean, I will say after I did the, uh, I was very touched after I did the workshop for your volunteers mm, mm. that I was so touched. I, I almost gushed at the end of it. Like mm. I couldn't help myself. Yeah. I'm going to say again, what I said, which is that my favorite people are people who take care of other people. Yeah. And this program and hearing you describe it is another one of those things where I'm very touched by the, the mm. fact of how you're taking care of other people. Mm, mm, mm. So well done with that work. Thank and you. Uh, it's very touching. So yay. Yeah. That's Good work, Project X. I know. Thank you. So, okay, we're going to move into our final round of questions, which is what we call the quickie by goodie round. So this one's really going to be quite interesting because this is the first time I'm going to trial this, but we'll see how it goes. It's going to be a one-word round. Okay, so I'm going to ask you to just complete whatever, the sentence or questions whatever I'm going to say with one word, okay? And I might ask you why you chose that word later, but you're going to have to really reduce. It's going to be a very reductive quickie by goodie round. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. All right, let's go. Ooh. So the world would be a better place if it was... What's your one word? Kinder. Okay. Greener. Sex, uh, okay. Sex positive. It's kind of two words into one. That's a hyphen. 
You, you, <laughs> cheating. you cheated at your own, your own game. You just made up a rule okay, and well, then like made up a loophole. Sex positive is one word with a hyphen. If you've got a hyphen in it, it's one word. All right. Okay, well, if you had to be a sex positive superhero, what would you call yourself? <laughs> one word. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, this is quite hard. I don't have an answer for this one. Plus, most superheroes aren't one word. Like, there are some. Superman's one word. Batman. They're one word. What? <laughs> is Batman one word? Yeah. Oh, okay. Wonder Woman is two words. Joker's one word. Not a superhero. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I don't know. Some people would disagree. Okay. If you were a sex-positive superhero, it, what would you... Do you have any ideas? <laughs> what, why would you get yeah, dick man like what, <laughs> what would <laughs> you, but nobody has a good sex positive superhero yeah, the scrotum <laughs> that's two words but yes okay we could call you s- uh, no it's not a good one it's not a good one scrotes scrotes is not a good name for anything it sounds horrible no, it's not even a good pet name <laughs> But, you know, on that, I, w- I would probably do something around, um, I, you know what? I would call myself vulva something. You're, you're even, you don't even have two words, and you are, <laughs> and you're, but you're still, you're still, you're, even, you're implying two words. You have vulva, a two-word okay. implied word, just vulva. Vulva land. Vulva land? <laughs> yeah. Okay. That's Your superhero <laughs> is a country? <laughs> Doesn't have to make sense. I it would just be it's just the fact that I would be casting visibility on that part of the body. All right. Okay. Okay. Well, if no one has any other ideas, uh, we're gonna up. move on. Yeah. Okay. If you had to describe your sexuality in one word, that word would be queer. I use the word quite often, yeah. Okay, mine would say evolving. <laughs> Curious. Mm. Okay, good. So, see, that was not hard. Mm-hmm. That was not that hard. Yeah. Okay. If you had one word to describe your favorite type of sex, it would be Curious. <laughs> okay. I feel like that word will work with anything. Okay. Like any one of your okay. questions. Now. Okay, I'm fine, trick. fine. You found I'm the wrong word. That's okay. right. I found you're the gonna, cheat code. Gonna, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to disbar no, no. you from doing uh-huh. Okay, I'm going to say orgasmic. Mm. I will just go with consensual. Oh, okay. That's a good word. Always That's good. a great Always word. Good. Always good word. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Are you actually going to come up with something? Sure, or no? sure I will. <laughs> um, sensual. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you. Prescott and Vanessa for joining me today. I had a great time, as I always do. So, Vanessa, could you tell our listeners just one last time how we can find you or support Project X? Mm, So, we are on Facebook, Project X Singapore, and on Instagram, projectx.sg. Awesome. Mm. So, listeners, now I would love to hear from you. How did our discussions today challenge some of the biases and prejudices that you have? Yeah, in just one word. (laughs) (laughs) And what will you do to overcome them? Find me at Hello Sarah Sense on Instagram or drop me a line at sarahsense.com. I'd love to hear from you. And while you're on my website, don't forget to sign up for email updates Mm. so you can access all the juicy sex-positive resources that I've created. 
I'd really love for all of us to create a more sex positive world that has less judgment and more compassion and where we can all respect each other's differences because that's the way we can get better in bed. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks.